Hey, this is Gary. This is Mike. And Daniel. We're not professionals. We're just three addicts sharing our experiences, strength, and hope regarding recovery. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to other addicts and to practice these principles in our lives. All right, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the 12th Step Podcast. This is Daniel. And this is Gary. And with us again, we have our... uh, beloved wonderful therapist that just loves to razz us uh for those of you uh you know in between our last episode and that we, we were talking and yeah he threw out a really good uh his name is shane one. by the yes way. it is shane so let's go ahead and introduce we'd like to welcome shane to the podcast oh I, I do like to have fun with these guys sometimes at their expense yes yes which which is good. It, it, it keeps us humble, uh, which is you know the whole point of, of this podcast is to be humble in our recovery. So there we go. Yeah. So uh, like the the previous episode, uh, we have several uh, listener emails, and mm-hmm. we wanted to go over another one on this episode. And the listener wrote in saying, "How do I keep my recovery in check when living with other addicts in the home?" So, uh, very interesting topic uh, that we'll discuss uh, during this episode, and kind of a challenging one at the same time, uh, because you know your recovery—you're supposed to stay focused on yourself. And you know, you know, in, in our last episode, we talked about how leaving space for your spouse, um, and I think kind of the same kind of component has to apply here. You know, we're focused on us, and we have to rely on the others in our home. <laughs> to be working on their own recovery yeah. as well and well, not focus on them. I was going to say, this is kind of a loaded question. Yeah. Because I'd like to know what the attitudes of the other people in the home are. Are, are they actively working in their recovery? Are they still wanting to live it with their addiction but uh, supporting you in your recovery? Or mm-hmm. are they, are they, are they, they uh, no, you need to come back and join us and, and you know, you know, I, you see what I mean? Yeah, sure. Because each of that kind of stuff would play. And also the relationship with the person, too. Mm-hmm. I also. think each of us probably have people in our lives that um, don't like the idea that we are changing and getting healthy. Mm-hmm. And so it's very possible that there could be those people who might be more invested in sabotaging our progress than in supporting our progress. Mm-hmm. And so depending on what, you know, what the living culture is within within this person's home um they could be up against a number of things that we might want to try to address a little bit of tonight so why don't we why don't we kind of take each one of those scenarios in turn and kind of discuss it you know let's talk about the you know that i'm living with another addict but they're also act actively working in their recovery and some Mm -hmm. of the things that we might have to consider there um what it might look like if I'm living with an addict, but they're still active in their addiction, but they're supportive or at least neutral toward me or mine. And then we can talk about the... The last one where... The sabotage. They're, I guess they're an to, addict and they're just sabotaging or they're just off the, the I, wagon. I guess we don't need to do it necessarily in that order. Maybe we should... No, it, it, it works either way. <clears throat> so, I mean, you're, I mean, you're right because there isn't a lot of information there. Mm-hmm. We don't know if they're actively supporting or if they're not supportive, or if they're just not doing uh, anything in their own recovery. Mm-hmm. You know, because if they're not in their own recovery, that I could see that being a hindrance. Um, you know, I, I remember a story that Shane has told often in our group where, you know, you had several friends that were active in your addiction and you had to cut them out of your life 
so that you could get into recovering more sobriety. Right. Um, because they weren't actively supporting and helping uh, that. They were a common denominator in every relapse. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, that's that's All a right. question we have to ask. So the, then let's talk. With, let's start with that scenario then. Okay. Let, let's talk about, okay, what do you do if you're living with an addict who is actively sabotaging or is actively acting out yeah yeah not not just not just active in their own addiction but actually actively working against you okay yeah i mean that definitely is not a safe environment you know um, i mean that's kind of like jumping into a pool of sharks with you know multiple cuts and blood wounds and just saying hey it's it's fine they're not going to touch me raw steak suit yeah <laughs> yeah you know it, it would be nice to have a little bit more context on mm-hmm. on the living arrangement here if we're talking about um a group of college students living together in a in a dorm room yeah um, the responses or, may be very or is this different. is a spouse or if this is a family kind of a situation yeah, right um, yeah it's a hard and and whether or not these are addicts who know that they are addicts or if that label is being assigned by the person who sent in the question mm-hmm. right <clears throat> I think it's easy for us to to forget that um, the only person that can decide if they're an addict is that person. Sure. Yeah. Uh, none of us can can assign that to anybody. When you guys came into my office, you had to decide for yourselves if if there was work to be done around that. Yeah. That label. So um, a little bit a little bit more clarity on the on the living arrangement would be nice. But we're going to go ahead and shoot from the hip and and see if we can touch on enough of those scenarios to to be helpful. Yeah, I mean, if you are the listener, you know, you've gone through this and you still don't feel like we answered it well enough, you know, provide us some more details and we can come back and swing back around and revisit this. Uh, So hopefully we'll just get through it the best we can. So I can see the wheels moving. Well, you guys out there in podcast land should really have the visual presentation of what it means when... Daniel can see the wheels moving in Gary. It's a nice visual. It is. (laughs) Well, okay. There are there are some situations. You know, there were when I started my recovery, Mm -hmm. I had to cut off. I had to cut off pretty much everybody that was involved with Mm -hmm. my addiction. You know. Yeah. And so as hard as it is to say, and and again, not understanding the details of what's going on, um, ultimately my recovery, well, it meant life and death to me, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And so I had to do what I had to do. And, and these, these people weren't going to be supportive. They would, it would have been like an active sabotage situation in, and so, so yeah, I had to make that decision. Addiction thrives in chaos, and mm-hmm. so if if there are active addicts in the living arrangement who either are unaware that they're addicts or are unaware of how their behavior is affecting this recovering addict, um, then the reminder has to come back to that addict that my recovery is my own. Mm-hmm. Um, the the addiction is a very selfish disease, but the recovery has to be just as selfish. Yeah. So regardless of what's going on with somebody else in my environment, I have to stay true to me. And that means staying true to my process, surrendering to that process, um, attending my 12-step meetings, 
um, attending my therapies, attending my groups, um, and, and living the lifestyle of a recovering addict. Uh, in, I was joking with these guys before we started this podcast that the name of this podcast is The 12th Step. And the 12th Step specifically talks about the fact that, that we sought to carry the message to others. Mm-hmm. And what better situation for a recovering addict than to be able to share what they've learned and what they know with those people that they're living with and yeah. to be able to live, live that example um, to help them understand the, the kind of peace and tranquility that can come through a recovery process. So in our 12-step programming, we talk about the fact that we only get to keep what we have by giving it away. Yeah. And so sharing with others and, and helping them receive the insights and the knowledge and understanding that we have is helpful not only to them but to us. Yeah, as you were saying that, I kind of remember something you said in in our last episode uh, regarding provisional beliefs, and I have to wonder, you know, are there some assumptions being made, you know, here possibly where they're, you know, they believe that that person is sabotaging, uh, you know, their recovery when they're really not, you know, maybe, you know, that this this individual is making assumptions like, uh, you know, she's she's doing X Y Z or he's doing X Y Z, you know, and it's just it's really grating against me and it's triggering, which then sends me spiraling. You know, is that just an a perceived attack or a perceived thing that they've done to trigger me, or is that just me using that as an excuse so that I can start spiraling and I can act out? Mm. Instead of like, wow, you know, despite them doing whatever it is, that trigger event, you know, I'm still going to, I'm still going to do me. I'm still going to keep my recovery uh, that, you know, they can deal with that, but I'm going to keep my boundary and I'm going to be okay. I am, I am put in mind of, of this thought. This is, this is a fantastic example of why you need a really good therapist and a really good <laughs> sponsor and a really good mentor and support system so that you can, so that you can bounce this oh, off yeah. of them and and you know because they're going to know a, a lot more about the particulars of the situation um if it's a situation where they're kind of letting you do you and they're doing their own thing then yeah it's a it's an absolutely fantastic opportunity to do some 12th step work yeah and, and to live an example particularly if if you can Mm-hmm. you know maintain that you know i don't know how much it, it would be affecting you and but i think there's some <clears throat> there's some responsibility on the part of the addict to make sure that we are being honest and open with those people about how mm-hmm. their behavior is affecting us sure oh, yeah <clears throat> daniel mentioned earlier that um that i've got to maintain my boundaries right um it, putting that in perspective from for myself if i were living with with other drinkers who were actively drinking in our living arrangement that would be tough for me that yeah. would be hard um but i would have to be very active in setting boundaries that say this is what i need in order to feel safe in my own home yeah. and i need you to understand how your behavior affects me when those boundaries aren't being adhered to mm-hmm. right? so there's still that there's still that responsibility on the part of the addict that needs to be honest and open and real not just from a from a standpoint of taking power and control. We mm-hmm. all know we yeah. have power and control, but from a standpoint of caring enough about yourself and about your recovery and the people that you're living with 
to be able to say, in all honesty, this is how that affects me. This is how I feel. This is what I'm afraid of. This is what I'm nervous about. Can you help me? Mm -hmm. Right? Enlisting people's support. Yeah, and I mean, not only that, if they are addicts, that opens up a window for them to say, hey, these, this is what I need from you to support me and whatever it is with them. You know, and then, I mean, that, in my mind, would just strengthen things. I mean, it's, it's the same thing that I see at 12 Step, when, you know, you're putting it out there, and then you find other people that you can connect with, and you can reach out to them, or they reach out to you. Because uh, a lot of times when someone's reaching out to me, by some miraculous miracle, which I know you call God moments, like, man, I was, I've been struggling with that too. I've been able to work through that because of your phone call. Um, so, I, yeah, this, in my opinion, this opens up an opportunity to kind of draw closer and maybe work on this together. Uh, whether you know, it may be that their, their addiction is something completely different, but it can still work. It's the same principles. Yeah. I had a client. Um, years ago who went through a pretty ugly divorce because of his multiple addictions Um, but we saw him through the divorce we saw him into his recovery process um, supported him got him involved in in various support systems outside of here through the course of his recovery um, met his current wife um, and they are incredibly active in their recovery uh, community, um, very supportive of each other and their recovery process, very open and, and real. Um, every now and again, I'll run into them at sporting events, and <clears throat> they're pretty good about giving me the update on what's happening with them and their relationship yeah. and within their families. And, and they just had some really tough crises uh, less than a month ago within members of their family that required them to set very stern and direct boundaries. Um, one of which meant um, inviting one of their children to leave the home. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an adult child. It's not, it's not like they're kicking a teenager out on the yeah. street. It's an adult child that they had opened their home to him to come back in and get that support and get back on his feet and get things moving. Allowed him to stick around for about a year. Um, and he never made the gains, never made the moves that he needed to, but they were very good at holding to their boundary and had to ask him to leave. So. Wow. This is um, this is the good that can happen when we are honest and, and open about our boundaries mm-hmm. and about garnering the support that we need from those people around us who can support those boundaries with us. Yeah, and I think it's I'll, I'll take this <coughs> moment to remind everybody who's listening that <clears throat> don't think of a boundary as necessarily a limitation. Right. Think of it as the parameters that allows the relationship to function. Yeah. yeah. You know, w- without them, it can't be. So it, it's when you, when, you, when you sit down with somebody and you establish boundaries, actually every relationship, no matter what mm-hmm. it is, there are boundaries, you know. And then those are the parameters that allow the relationship to function. So if somebody is willing to sit down with you and discuss boundaries, you should interpret that as a, this relationship is important enough that they are setting forward some parameters to allow it to work, you right. know. And I think for just as a recap for those things, please remember that um, boundaries are an effort to keep people safe. It is yeah. not a punishment. Mm-hmm. So if your spouse sets boundaries with you or if the addict sets boundaries with the, with the partner, this is about 
what they feel like they need in order mm-hmm. to keep them safe. Mm-hmm. If, if it feels like a punishment to you, check yourself. Yeah. Right? yeah. Because this is just something that, that they need in order to feel safe, and we should be able to hold space for them in those boundaries and support them. I think that kind of leads into a good point of, uh, you know, trying to avoid victim stance, trying to avoid being you know, sure. the victim where, you know, they may be working on themselves, you know, kind of, but just because it's not going at the same speed that we want it to, yeah, that or, you know, maybe, you know, they're having a bad day. We don't need, don't want to allow that to kick us into, you know, victim stance where it's like, oh man, they're, they're not making any progress. It's, you know, this is driving me nuts or anything like that. I'm glad you said that because that was a point that I wanted to make. Like if you're living with an addict who's also actively working on their own recovery, you're going to be in different places. Oh, yeah. You're yeah. going to progress differently. Yeah. So, yeah, that's... Well, I mean, just from, you know, mere, mere experience, you know, maybe it, it could be your children, you know, teenage children. They're not going to progress as much as a, an adult. You mm-hmm. know, if it's a spouse, you know, um, or a partner, that their progression can be completely different you know they may be starting brand new and you've been in for a year or two or three or five or whatever so their you know their progress is definitely going to be different depending on you know how motivated they are and how active they are um, or if they have more than one addiction you know there there's a possibility the people you're living with have multiple addictions and so they're trying to deal with all that at the same time or you know uh but you just want to avoid going to victim stance. I, I mean, I know I was guilty of it quite a bit. Right. Please don't underestimate, you know, the power that your own misguided thinking may have in those situations. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah right? for sure. Um, if I'm an addict who doesn't have a good handle on my own recovery, mm-hmm. then what I think they're doing to me is actually in response to what I'm doing to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so we need to be able to find that balance and be open and honest about those things rather than just simply pointing the finger and, and yeah. working toward control. Let me revisit one of my earlier statements when I said this is a really, really good example of why you need a good therapist, <laughs> a good mentor, yes. a good sponsor, and a good recovery support system. Well, I mean, I, I, I can't recall the number of times where, you know, my ex would give look at me, and I'd be, well, there it is. She's angry at me. And then I would just spiral, you know. But, you know, I would call you, you and talk to you, and you're just like, what's the big deal? Like, seriously, have you, did you ask if she's angry with you? No, I didn't. You're a mind reader, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's exactly the comment that would come out. I'm like, <laughs> how dare you hold me accountable? Uh, yeah, <laughs> like, crap. But yeah, I mean, but that's exactly how kind of this this disease works is, you know, you just make assumptions. And it's, you know, and looking back, it's like, no, I was upset. I was angry at her and... You know, for whatever reason of that day, whether it was like, well, you're not letting me go do what I want or whatever. And so the look would be just, you know, my projecting that anger, that eroticized rage towards her. And then that gave me permission to do whatever I wanted and act out. I think I think something else that's really important to keep in mind here is is remember that um, getting into recovery and moving forward that those are. Those are changes. Those are big changes, yeah. even dramatic changes. And you, you need to remember that, that up to a certain point, the people that you're living with, you've created a dynamic, and now you're changing it. Yeah. And I love love an example that was, was given to me in, in one of uh, my family sessions 
He's, you guys all know what a mobile is, right? Yeah. This is something you yeah. So you have a mobile. And everybody in the situation is one of these little things on the mobile. And if you move one or take away one or add one or whatever it is, everything moves about until it finds its new equilibrium. Yep. And you've got to keep that in mind. You've also got to keep in mind that that for you know however long you've been involved in your addiction... Um, you've been developing crazy to deal with their crazy and they've been developing crazy to deal with yours and now you're changing something mm-hmm. uh, in a big and maybe even a dramatic way doing things that you've never done before trying to change everything about yourself keep in mind that that, that mobile is spinning around yeah and- it's, it's kind of a hard concept for <clears throat> for addicts to wrap their mind around but it's important to remember that not everybody in your life stands to benefit from your recovery. Yeah, that's, there, a, that's an interesting <laughs> idea. Let's go, yeah. There are people who benefit from keeping you sick. Mm-hmm. Um, now, part of that benefit, <clears throat> excuse me, part of that benefit, especially in a married relationship, is your, your spouse gets used to working with you the way that you are. Mm-hmm. When you start changing that, that, that disrupts her equilibrium. Yeah. She may not want to have to learn how to deal with any of that. Um, she may not be able to trust it. This may be the 1500th time that you've told her you were going to change and she's still waiting for that consistency to pop in. And so um, remember that, that not everyone stands to benefit from your change and from your recovery. And those who don't are counting on you to be as consistent as you possibly can be in that so that they can find enough trust and enough safety to join you in that change process. Mm -hmm. For many of your spouses, they're going to hold back on engaging in their change process until they know for sure that you're going to make those changes and and stay consistent with the change. Um, It's scary for them to think that, you know, my husband is getting better and he's doing everything right, everything that I've wanted him to do, and now I either have to let down my wall and join him and give him the credit for the growth that he's made, or... I have to stay my ground and in some ways, maybe without even knowing it, sabotage that, that recovery. So, well, and there could even be a, if they're getting better, you know, they're going to be giving up, you know, these behaviors Mm -hmm. and, and if they're also addicts and maybe they don't want to, yeah, you know, I don't want to give up my drug of choice just because you are, Yeah, you know, so there's some of that too. Or could be, I guess. There could be a lot of dynamics that play into this. Um, so, I mean, ultimately, my suggestion to this to this listener would be um, make sure that you're processing openly and honestly with your therapist yeah. in your own individual work. And make sure that um, if these are truly identified addicts that you're living with, that they're either doing their work or you're learning how to set, how to, how to set your own boundaries between you and them so that it doesn't hinder your work. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, <clears throat> goes back to what we said before, you know, you're, you have to be very selfish about your recovery, focusing on you, making sure you're in a good place. Cause I mean, you're right. They have, you know, whoever this, these other individuals are or individual is, they eventually have to make a choice as you continue to progress and get better. It's either, you know, stick around and start matching that effort or bail. And, you know, I, I can't be around this anymore. So what is, what is it that you like to say? You know, when you start recovery? In, re- in recovery, in relationships recovery. either improve or they end. 
Yeah. Yep. There's no in between. They don't. They can't stay the way they are. They either have to improve or they end. And, and I can't take credit for that. That's a Dr. Carnes statement. But um, but it it's never been more true than yeah. recovery from sexual addiction. So. Yep. So good luck to you. Yes. Good luck. Good okay. luck to all of us. You know, hopefully, hopefully we gave you some some insight, some help on this question. If you feel like there's you know it's still not good enough, you know definitely reach back out. Give us more details. Uh, so that we can dive into this further and, you know, definitely, uh, you know, give you some more in-depth uh, answers. But uh, with the vagueness of the question, it's really hard to, you know, pinpoint exactly how to help. But hopefully some of this has helped you. Um, so, you know, uh, we'll wrap this up. And Shane, thanks again for being on this episode. Absolutely. And this is Daniel saying, find the humility in your recovery. And this is Gary saying, do the next right thing. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We would love to hear from you. If you have any questions, thoughts, or concerns, or have any suggestions for future episodes, please contact us at 12thsteppodcast at gmail.com. That is 1-2-T-H-STEP-PODCAST at gmail.com. As a fellowship of recovering addicts, Sex Addicts Anonymous offers a message of hope to anyone who suffers from sex addiction. Check out saa-recovery.org.